Hi guys, we're back with part two of The Body Snatcher by Robert Louis Stevenson. We kind of left it on a cliffhanger. We've been introduced to some people, a shady character. A really unique conversation has taken place. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you all so much for the love for part one. So here is part two. Chapter five. He stood still in the middle of the rug, between the stair and the doorway, and the great London physician, in order to escape, would be forced to step to one side. It was plain that he hesitated before the thought of this humiliation. White as he was, there was a dangerous glitter in his spectacles, but while he still paused, uncertain, he became aware the driver of his fly was peering in from the street at this unusual scene and caught a glimpse at the same time of our little body from the parlour, huddled by the corner of the bar. The presence of so many witnesses decided him at once to flee. He crouched together, brushing on the wainscot, and made a dart like a serpent, striking for the door. But his tribulation was not yet entirely at an end. For even as he was passing, Fretz clutched him by the arm, and these words come in a whisper, and yet painfully distinct. Have you seen it again? The great rich London doctor cried out aloud with a sharp throttling cry. He dashed his questioner across the open space, and, with his hands over his head, fled out the door like a detected thief. Before it occurred to one of us to make a movement, the fly was already rattling towards the station. The scene was over like a dream, but the dream had left proofs and traces of its passage. Next day, the servant found the fine golden spectacles broken on the threshold, and that very night we were all standing breathless by the bar, room window, and Fetz at our side, sober, pale, and resolute in look. God protect us, Mr. Fett, said the landlord, coming first into the possession of his customary senses. What in the universe is all this? These are some strange things you have been saying. Fetz turned towards us, and he looked us each in succession in the face. See if you can hold your tongues, said he. That man, Macfarlane, is not safe to cross. Those that have done so already have repented it too late. Part 6. And then, without so much as finishing his third glass, far less waiting for the other two, he bade us goodbye and went forth under the lamp of the hotel into the black night. We three turned to our places in the parlour with the big red fire and four clear candles as we recapulated what had passed. The first chill of our surprise soon changed into a glow of curiosity. We sat late. It was the latest session I have known in the old George. Each man before we parted had his theory he was bound to prove, and none of us had any nearer business in this world than to track out the past of our condemned companion and surprise the secret that he had shared with the great London doctor. It is no great boast, but I believe I was the better hand at worming out a story than either of my fellows at the George and perhaps there is now no other man alive who could narrate to you the following foul and unnatural events. In his young days, Fett studied medicine in the schools of Edinburgh. 
He had a talent of a kind, the talent that picks up swiftly what it hears and readily retails it for its own. He worked little at home, but he was civil, attentive and intelligent in the presence of his masters. They soon picked him out as a lad who listened closely and remembered well. Nay, strange as it seemed to me when I first heard it, he was in those days well favoured and pleased by his exterior. There was, at that period, a certain extramural teacher of anatomy, who I will share here, designated by the letter K. His name was subsequently too well known. The man who bore it skulked through the streets of Edinburgh in disguise, while the mob that applauded at the execution of Burke called loudly for the blood of his employer. But Mr. K was then at the top of his rogue. He enjoyed a popularity due partly to his own talent and address, partly to the incapacity of his rival, the university professor. The students at least swore by his name, and Fetz believed himself, and was believed by others, to have laid the foundations of success when he had acquired the favour of this motorically famous man. Mr. K was a bon vivant as well as an accomplished teacher. He liked a sly illusion no less than careful preparation. In both capacities, Fetz enjoyed and deserved his notice, and by the second year of his attendance he held the half-regular position of second demonstrator or sub-assistant in his class. In this capacity, the charge of the theatre and lecture room devolved in particular upon his shoulders. He had to answer for the cleanliness of the premises and the conduct of the other students, and it was part of his duty to supply, receive and divide the various subjects. It was with a view to this last, and at the time very delicate, affair that he was lodged by Mr. K in the same wind, and at last in the same building with the dissecting rooms. Here, after a night of turbulent pleasures, his hand still tottering, his sight still misty and confused, he would be called out of bed in the black hours before the winter dawn by the unclean and desperate interlopers who supplied the table. He would then open the door to these men, since infamous throughout the land. He would help them with their tragic burden, pay them their sordid price, and remain alone when they were gone with the unfriendly relics of humanity. From such a scene he would return to snatch another hour or two of slumber and repair the abuses of the night, and refresh himself for the labours of the day. Few lads could seem more insensible to the impressions of a life thus passed among the ensigns of mortality. His mind was closed against all general considerations. He was incapable of interest in the fate and fortunes of another, the slave of his own desires and low ambitions. Cold, light, and selfish in the last resort, he had that modicum of prudence, miscalled morality, which keeps a man from inconvenient drunkenness or punishable theft. He coveted, presides, a measure of consideration from his masters and fellow pupils, and he had no desire to fail conspicuously into the external parts of life. Thus he had made it his pleasure to gain some distinction in his studies, and day after day rendered impeachable eye-service to his employer, Mr. K., for his work, he identified himself by nights of roaring, backguardly enjoyment, and when that balance had been struck, the organ that he called his conscience 
declared himself content. The sub supply of subjects was a continual trouble to him as well as his master. In that large and busy class, the raw material of the anatomist kept perpetually running out, and the business thus rendered necessary was not only unpleasant in itself, but threatened dangerous consequences to all who were concerned. It was the policy of Mr. K to ask no questions in his dealings with the trade. They bring the body, and we pay the price, he used to say, dwelling on the alliteration quid pro quo. And again, somewhat profanely, asks no questions, he would tell his assistants, for conscience sake. There was no understanding the subjects were provided by the crime of murder. Had the idea been broached to him in words, he would have recoiled in horror, but the lightness of his speech upon so grave a matter was, in itself, an offence against good manners and a temptation to these men with whom he dealt. Fetz, for example, often had remarked to himself among the singular freshness of the bodies. He had been struck again and again by the hand-dog or binable looks of ruffians who came to him before the dawn, and putting things together clearly in his private thoughts, he perhaps attributed a meaning too immoral and too categorical to the unguarded counsels of his master. He understood his duty, in short, to have three branches, to take what was brought, to pay the price, and to avert the eye from any evidence of crime. So guys, that was part two. We've kind of discovered a little bit more about the story, the fact that there would be bodies that were maybe a little questionable that they had to dissect and use for, you know, scientific purposes. Uh, I think part three is going to be even better. I feel that this is a classic, so it may seem tame in comparison to what we see in our lives, you know, through media, through gaming and things like that. But for its time... I can imagine it was pretty scary. So until then, stay safe, stay cool, and thank you so, so much. Bye, guys.